Compete on every snap and have fun. And last, and most importantly, be physical. We gotta do something. We gotta do something. Put your shoes on tight. And we're back. Hard Edge Football Podcast is back. Hello, this is Coach Rich Rodriguez, and joining me, of course, after a few weeks off we've had for the hot for the holidays, is my broadcast partner Raquel. What's up? How are you doing this evening? I'm good. Back in the office, Jacksonville State University, getting cranked up for the second semester, getting the staff together, getting ready to recruit for a couple weeks, then get our guys going in the weight room, get ready for spring practice. But a lot going on especially in college football, so a lot to catch up with here. Right, and then you just got back to Jacksonville on Sunday night, but this week you guys will be moving over to the press box to prepare for that demolition of the current building, huh? Yeah, it's going to be wild. We're having an $80 million project, a brand-new football facility, along with uh, some dormitories and a big, huge cafeteria, so it's a huge project. Uh, It'll put us into... Uh, a great position as we move up into Division 1A, joining Conference USA. And so for the next 15 months, we'll be kind of parked in the – we've got beautiful press boxes, by the way. We'll be parked in our press boxes, adjust our meeting rooms over there, uh, got our new weight room uh, ready to go uh, on the other side. So uh, we're, we're excited about it. I think they'll start demolition of the old facility uh, by the end of this month and hopefully mid-February or start building a new one. So it's going to be. Uh, you know, I think uh, the crown jewel of uh, Division One Group of Five schools when it's all said and done. Have you noticed any differences in facilities compared to you were at the University of Arizona when they were building their new facility, and now you're at Jacksonville State while they're building their new facility? Has there been any changes in what football facilities are now doing from just you know several years ago? Yeah, that's a good point. It was. It was kind of a very unique situation. When we were at Arizona, we had one year in the old facility while the new one was getting built, and I was very fortunate to be the timing was was good there and uh, basically didn't have to make a whole lot of adjustments. It was pretty much set. The same thing with this here. A couple of things that are different now, now that we are looking at doing is uh, what's different with the locker room. What we're doing, we're copying kind of a mo- mo- model that I think Auburn maybe has done this, is that with the new facilities, when the guys first come off the field, instead of going straight into a locker room with your your dirty shoes or your or those rubber pellets all over your shoes and sweat and everything else, you go in what's called a mud room. You take your pads off, your your helmets, your shoulder pads, your shoes, and it's in an area where it's humidified and cleaned and, and all that, and that's where you store that. And then you continue on your track through that room into the cold tubs uh, to get cooled off, and then you go into your shower room area and your locker room. So the locker room is kind of, it's more like a lounge, but each guy's going to have their own uh, cubicle, so to speak. Uh, the difference is uh, they won't have to have their pads and their wet shoes and their and their smelly helmets right there with them. That's in the mud room. So it's a u- really unique concept, and I think something the players really like. And like you briefly mentioned before, there are so many things going on in college football right now. It might be the holidays, but there are no shortage of topics. First, we're going to start off with the transfer portal. And the top prospect that just went in on Monday was Caleb Williams, the quarterback from Oklahoma, who still might end up staying at Oklahoma, but now he is seeing his other options. 
Yeah, we we've mentioned it before how how crazy it is. Uh, the game has changed in in college football uh, drastically in the last uh, year and a half, and it's I think there's going to be more change coming. I think there's always unintended consequences when you have legislation like we have right now. A lot of times, some coaches just throw their hands up and say, "What am I going to do?" Well, the goalposts have moved, and we got to move with them if you want to compete. But it is it is really really nuts. Now, I've said it before, we have open free agency with no salary cap. So a guy like Caleb Williams, who without a doubt is one of the most talented football players in the country at the key position at quarterback in a top program such as Oklahoma, now getting into the portal just to kind of see who's out there. Now, he could have anything he wants. And literally, he could probably get anything he wants financially, too. You know, somebody's going to be a booster at some program and say, Caleb, come over here be the face of our program. We'll pay you a million dollars a year in an NIL agreement. And you do that for two years, then you go in the NFL. And so I see a lot of players doing that. Now, not all of them going to be as valued as he is. So some will make that mistake and not get anything. But he's going to have an opportunity to make big money, seven figures, probably a year, just by getting in the portal. And that's what we've created with the rules. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just crazy. You know, you could be a starting quarterback. It would be well if you're the backup, you leave so you can play somewhere else. Now you're the starting star quarterback. Right. And you're leaving to maybe either get paid more or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's like the leading rusher from Wake is uh, leaving. The, leading, the second rusher last year left, and, the, and he won the uh, running back of the year award. Right? So now they're leading rusher for this year. Uh, Christian Bell Smith is getting in the portal and, uh, he'll probably get a big deal somewhere. So it's, it's a whole different dynamic. And, uh, you know, I know you, a lot of coaches thought a lot of coaches really don't like it. Maybe some fans don't like it, but it is what it is. And we got to adjust to it. So much of our success or lack of success is dealing with recruiting. Right. And everybody can tell you that in NFL, you have the draft, you have free agency, and so you have some recruiting involved in free agency, but really for the most part, you're, you're just buying the players. The, 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 most of the time, the salary will get you the guy. But in college, it's you know it used to be just not everything else, but now the salary is part of the deal too, I guess, in college. What would you do if you had some big boosters with unlimited amount of resources and money that were supporting your program? What would you suggest to them to help out the program? Yeah, good question. I mean, we're not supposed to tell them who to give it to um, or how to do it. But, you know, if you had if we just had a fireside chat and said, well, what would what would be your preference in NIL deals? Well, I really like the idea that BYU did where they put every walk on and pay for their scholarship uh, for their uh, tuition. So basically, instead of having 85 guys on scholarship, you have you could have 120, mm-hmm. which gives you 35 more guys that in case somebody gets hurt. Or somebody, or somebody transfers, or you got more depth. Uh, you're basically going to have the. You know, there's a reason why everybody was capped at a number, right? Well, they ain't capped at that number. So I would love to have that deal because then you could. Every you ask any coach in the country, can I have more scholarships legally? And you would you take them 100. percent So that'd be one deal. And then if I had one, said I just want to buy or buy a certain position, what would you do? Well, I would th- think about. It. I would say, okay. I want give me two quarterbacks, uh, two corners that can guard press man and never have to worry about it, and three dominant D linemen. I'd start with that right there, mm-hmm. and then uh, 
then we'd take off from there. So give me two QBs, give me two press man corners, and give me three dominant D linemen, and we're ready to roll. Do you think that a lot of coaches have that wish list or that support that they're maybe telling their boosters right now? Oh, I think it's going behind the scenes for sure. You know, they may not have that specific uh, conversation uh, with them. They're certainly not doing it by text, right? But if they're in person with them, they're probably answering those questions when people are saying, what's the most important position? Well, they're all important, but, you know, those deals are getting done. And the NCAAs, I think, pretty much throwing their hands up. Because I don't think you can, again, put put that genie back in the bottle. It's it's out there, and now we're going to have to fi- figure out a way to deal with it. And uh, I think college football is in for a lot, a lot of changes in the next uh, two to three years quickly. Do you think that if Caleb Williams were to follow his former coach, Lincoln Riley, to USC, that that would maybe cause some issues over there at Oklahoma and they would advocate for more restriction in the transfer portal or no? The, the fans the fans would be mad. and I, I can see why they're going to be mad, but Oklahoma will, will take a northern – they'll take a portal guy themselves. They already have. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to take, you know, take Dylan Gabriel from UCF. He's reunited with Coach Levy, uh, and they'll probably take another one. So it's – I mean, the, the hard part about it is – you know, you can build a culture and, a, and the right thing you want in the locker room, even with transfers, if you have that, have the right approach to it. And even having a hired gun, so to speak, you could still be okay if those guys have a good attitude, which most of them do. It's just uh, what you feel about is you've put so much into recruiting the guy initially, right? So much money, resources, build that relationship, and he got him for a year or he got him for two years, and then he's gone especially on the group of five level, right? Say we find a guy, hidden gem, and not a lot of people knew about it, and we develop him, and he plays great. Then all of a sudden, he's got the big power fives wanting to come get him. You you can't blame him if he's going to look at that. You hope he doesn't want him. Hope he wants to finish with you, but inevitably, they're going to probably go where the money is. That's why they leave early to go to the NFL, right? It's because they want to go where the money is. And now more than ever, building a solid depth chart is hard to keep, you know, your first, second, and third strings because people are going all the different places. Yeah. That's a, you know, like somebody asked the other day, says, why would the SEC head off, like to, got off to an 0-4 start in the bowl games? You know, and people are like, SEC, how did they lose that many games? Well, SEC probably has more opt-outs, more guys that jumped in a portal or declared early than any other league. So a lot of their teams – aren't playing with their original roster. I just saw where LSU is playing in the bowl game, which is the January January 5th or 6th, whenever bowl game against Kansas State. They have 39 scholarship available, 39 scholarship players available. 39, that's not even half of the roster um, ready to play in the bowl game. And you got to give those 39 guys credit and that, and that staff that's still hanging on down there. So, but that's, it's just the way it is. But I still think the bowl games have been fun, don't you? I mean, it was kind of fun to watch these games, yeah. So there's been so many great bowl games this holiday season. What were some of the favorite ones that you enjoyed watching? Well, I like, you know, obviously the Ole Miss game because, you know, I liked watching those guys. I knew a lot of those guys. Cruden felt bad for Matt Corral. got hurt early, but you know, he'll be okay, be a great NFL player. And Baylor's done a tremendous job. Coach Aranda's uh, second year there. Tennessee, Purdue, what about the sell? These are all sellouts, too. I mean, you're talking about great crowds. Tennessee, Purdue was a great game. Uh, Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, because that game was on along with other games at the same time. A lot of people may not have seen that. And that was one of the best bowl games there was. But Notre Dame out to a 28-7 lead. 
And Oklahoma State comes storming back. Mike Gundy's done it quietly. I don't know so quietly, but they he's done such a great job there. And Oklahoma State, uh, you know, got the big win there. And then maybe the best game, maybe the most fun to watch was the Rose Bowl. One, you know, the iconic Rose Bowl. If you if folks have never, it is it is a, a, one of the greatest atmospheres in sports. Period. Uh, I always tell everybody the greatest grass game field in the history of grass game fields. I mean, there's not a black. I remember when we played there a few years back, and I told, I said, I want to talk to the grounds crew because they need to be commended. There wasn't a blade of grass out of place anywhere. I mean, it was immaculate. Well, in that setting with that huge crowd of you, especially Utah fans bringing it, Ohio State came back and won a huge game there against Utah, who had a really good football team. Coach Winningham was just uh, a great friend, a great coach. And But the Buckeyes had a, had a tremendous performance coming back without their top two wideouts. So there was a lot of bowl games. And for uh, anybody that loved college football, I'm sure they enjoyed those uh, holiday bowl games. And there's been a lot of debate over opt-outs and people playing in the bowl games. I know we've talked about this before, but do you think maybe to help out with keeping some players playing in the bowl games, if they want to, you can maybe add some bowl game incentives? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I can see the bowl games coming up, whether it's a Rose Bowl or Fiesta Bowl or something, taking it upon themselves and giving a guy a deal to play in their bowl game. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not through the school, it's through the bowl people. Fiesta Bowl telling the starting quarterback or starting star wide receiver, hey, we'll give you ten grand, you know, help promote our bowl game. And we'll give an NIL deal just for this bowl game. Play this one game for ten thousand or something. I, I, I everything's on the table, right? So I could see some of these bowls having an NIL incentive for certain players. Uh, so they can get you know promoted and and get a great crowd, but there was some really fantastic crowds anyway. But uh, I think I said everything is on the table. And what's left of the games, of course, is the national championship, a rematch between Alabama and Georgia. What are your thoughts on this game? The key to the winning this game? How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I think it's going to be a great matchup. You know, I think Georgia's going to have a little chip on their shoulder now, wanting to prove themselves uh, from the SEC championship game. Alabama always is going to be ready to play. You never have to worry about that. Those those guys are wired into the process, right, and uh, wanting to get another national championship. I think I actually talked to Matt Luke, our friend from Ole Miss, who's the line coach at Georgia, doing a great job. And, and uh, we were talking about other things, and he, I agree with him in saying the key is going to be up front. Uh, who can run the ball the best, particularly Georgia? I mean, the, the Bryce, Bryce Young is such a talented quarterback at Alabama. They can throw the ball and still be okay. Georgia, in my opinion, has to be able to run the ball successfully and do some play-action pass and passes and all that. So if Matt's guys can, can hold up up front against the D-line of Alabama, who is coached by our friend Freddie Roach, so it's Matt Luke against Freddie Roach uh, for the national championship, and, and it's a great matchup. Two great coaches, two great friends, and I think it's going to be a physical, physical ball game. Georgia will try and limit, run the ball, like I said, limit the possessions from Alabama, try to get a key turnover or two, and then their, their quarterback, Stetson Bennett, uh, doesn't have to play perfect, but he's got to play sharp. And uh, uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic game.
What were your thoughts on how Cincinnati and Michigan both came out and competed in those games last week? You know, Cincinnati's playing, you know, they're playing against Alabama and all those great players they have, and they competed. You, you know, they certainly belonged, and they, and they showed that, and they proved that throughout the season. Uh, but it is different. You know, if, if Cincinnati had played uh, Georgia's or Alabama's schedule or an SEC West schedule, would they have lost a game or two along the way? Chances are they probably would have. But I think they would have won most of them. You know, they might have went 10 and 2 or something like that. But um, they had a veteran team, well coached, played hard. And, you know, Alabama was just better, particularly at a few key positions and deeper. So uh, Cincinnati quit themselves well. And then in Michigan, you know, they had a great season where they came from really out of nowhere. Uh, and they ran up against a Georgia team that was ticked off and was the one team that was going there after a loss and wanting to prove themselves. And so Georgia was going to – they were going to get Georgia's best shot, and they did. But uh, still, Michigan had a great year. You know, Coach Harbaugh and his staff got a lot – should get a lot of credit for what they did. And, that, and it seemed to me like they had a, a great player-led type of team this year uh, with with the players on the team and how close they were. So it was um, it was good to see those guys have great success. And uh, as I said, Georgia – you know, a lot of really good players with a little chip on their shoulder. That's tough to beat. And we'll be right back after a short message from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by iPacket. iPacket takes the guesswork out of purchasing your next vehicle by putting all the important documentation in one place. Documents like the original window sticker, warranty information, new car brochure, and vehicle history report. You can even see how much the dealer spent reconditioning the vehicle. Ask your local dealer for an iPacket or visit iPacket.us to learn more. What's under review this week is the current college football playoff system. Do you think that it should expand? Do you think it should be, do you think it should stay the way it is? Some people have debates that making it a 12 and 16 team playoff would make the sport better and help athletes overall. What do you think? What are your thoughts on the current system? And what do you think it should be? Yeah, I think that's going to be debated forever because what's the, what's the right number? Wasn't two. Now people say it's not four. Is it not? If it's not four, is it eight? Is it twelve? And you know, Coach Saban made a great point. It's like they're saying right now, well, one versus four isn't isn't a good game, you know, because Alabama beat Cincinnati pretty good. Well. Does that mean one versus eight is going to be better or or uh, what have you? So I, I don't think there's an easy answer to add. It certainly has diminished the bowl games in some respects. Going just to four, it will diminish it even more if you go to 12 or 16. I don't know what that right number is. Uh, it might be 10 uh, and then give you know a bye to the top four teams or something or something like that. I don't know. Uh, or top two teams. You know, figure it out, but I do think it's going to change. I think there's more money to be out there if you had eight, uh, more money to be out there if you have 10 or 12. Um, and I still think some of the bowls will be exciting, but it will diminish. And if you're not one of the 10 or 12, you're probably going to be opting out if you're a first or second rounder. There's no easy answer, but money it usually follows the money. That's where it goes. And if the money is going to be better for the power of fives, especially by going to 10 or 12, We'll go probably go to 10 or 12. Off topic, but kind of on topic with the bowl games in the college football playoff. Do you think, because hearing this from Reth's perspective and from a player perspective, sometimes players 
They love playing football and love being in the bowl games. They just also want to be at home with their family during the holidays. Do you think that if bowl games were maybe moved to the weekend right after the season ends, that you would have more players tend to stay in the bowl games or tend to want to be in them? Oh, yeah, I no question. It used to be bowl games were a big deal for players because we got to go to different cities. We get the bow swag, and that was a big deal. You get a couple hundred dollars in bow per diem money, and that was a huge deal, you know. So you didn't really mind as much, you know, spending your holidays in a different city, in a war, especially in a warm town. Now kids are different. I mean, not from the standpoint is that if they want to play, let's just play it right after the season. So if it's uh, championship weekend for some conferences, you could have some bowl games there. You can't really have them probably the following week for a lot of schools because of finals. Mm -hmm. But in this day and age, with the COVID taught us, you could probably still have finals and bowl games. You just got to do things by Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. Your players can do a test by Zoom. You can get it worked out. So I definitely think, and I agree with Rhett, that from a player standpoint, if you're not in a New Year's Six Bowl, right, you're not in one of the biggest ones, and certainly if not if you're not in the playoff, Get those uh, other bowl games played a week or two after the regular season, and I think you'll have less guys opt out, uh, more fans attend it, and probably create a little bit better bowl atmosphere, you know, bowl experience for the players. Right, and then hopefully, like we did at Arizona when we were in the earlier New Mexico Bowl, is then luckily after the bowl game, you're able to send the players home on the University of Arizona's dime versus their own. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So this upcoming weekend and into early next week, there will be the coaches convention in San Antonio, Texas. And now I know you have a coaching tip for all of those who will be attending this event. What is that? Well, I've been to many conventions, not to all of them, but many of them. I was on the board for many years. And after you're on the board for so many years, they they make you an officer. Then as you climb up the officer ladder from vice president to president, like I said, that means you were in there probably too long. So I was president of the of the of the AFCA, American Football Coach Association. And thousands over nine thousand or something, ten thousand coaches belong to it. And they'll get five or six or seven thousand coaches from all levels come to the convention. And a lot of them, there's a lot of exhibits on on equipment and things you can buy. There's, there's seminars and things you can learn, and there's always a social aspect where you can meet with coaches and uh, trade ideas or just talk and, and create some friendships. You know, a lot of guys go there for just that reason. You know, my coaching tip is if you go to the convention, I mean, obviously you want to go and enjoy yourself and see your friends and all that, but go with a purpose from the standpoint is not go and bug coaches and give them your business card and say, hire me, um, but go to some some of the seminars, um, check out some of the newest equipment and, and technology, uh, learn a little bit of football that. And then when you meet your friends, try to make some new friends. In other words, in a casual setting, if you have a friend that's a, that's a coach at another school, introduce yourself. And don't worry about whether he's at a Division three school or a Power 5 school. You know, you should make that connection um, because it is a smaller fraternity, even though there's thousands and thousands of coaches. You never know who you're going to be sitting next to in a clinic session or sitting, talking ball with. And next thing you know, this guy is in a position where he can help you advance in the profession. And don't worry about going there to get a job. 
There's so many guys that go there and think they can get a job out of that. You need to treat every job like it's the last job you ever have because it might be. And it's okay to kind of be have a little bit of ambition. There's nothing wrong with that. But the best thing to do is make connections without being forced, forceful with it. You know what I mean? Just be yourself. Uh, you know, make new friends. Come out of there making a dozen new friends, guys that you want to you know talk ball with over the over the off season, and then uh, try to learn and make yourself a little bit better. Can you think of some of your best and worst experiences you've had at a coaches convention? And I remember the first time I went, this is, oh my gosh, 20 years ago when I first went to the convention, I was shocked about how many coaches there really are out there. And then how many of those were looking for jobs? I mean, there's thousands of them. You, I don't know if there's another profession in the world with that many people. There's 5,000 people at the convention and, and 3,000 of them want a new job. You know, it's kind of, it was kind of crazy and very eye-opening and almost sad for the younger coaches at the time because they're like, you know, they, they're just getting into profession. They're like, geez, I got to compete with this many guys to get a, get the kind of job I want. But nowadays the pay is so good. And, and, uh, you know, even with all the issues we're dealing with, it's still a very, very, uh, interesting and, and rewarding profession. So that'll always be the case, but that ASCA national convention, is one of the best things that goes on in the coaching world, in my opinion. Well, I think that wraps up this week's episode. We're happy to be back, and we hope everyone enjoyed their holiday season. Don't forget to send your questions or your opinions. Raquel will follow up on them, and hopefully we'll have it on the next episode. A big shout-out again, Raquel, to our sponsor, Auto Eye Packet, and our friends Paul Astorg, Sevy Astorg. You know, check it out in our podcast description. You'll want to check it out for sure. But I hope everybody had a great holiday. And let's enjoy this great game of college football. You can follow us on social media, Twitter at HardEdgeFB, on Instagram at HardEdgeFootball. We hope you have a great rest of your week, and we look forward to talking with you next week.